from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, friends, and a very pleasant good evening to you from the nation's capital. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm a senior fellow at Family Research Council. It's my pleasure to be sitting in with you for Tony this evening. I want to remind you that between now and the end of the year, your support of Washington Watch and the Family Research Council will be doubled. A gift that you give at 1-800-225-4008 or go to TonyPerkins.com will be doubled between now and December 31st. We do appreciate your support, which makes this program and so much more possible. Again, that number is 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Today on the program, a whistleblower from the Department of Health and Human Services says the U.S. is effectively helping human traffickers at the border. We'll give you the details of these very concerning accusations coming up. Also, Senator Cynthia Lummis was one of the Republicans that helped the Democrats redefine marriage in the Senate. Now she's dodging questions about whether children have a right to a mother. We'll talk about why that matters coming up today as well. Meanwhile, Washington, D.C. is busy trying to avoid a railroad workers strike. Why should you care? And when will the military stop trying to kick out service members who chose not to get the COVID vaccine? We'll discuss all of that today in the program. But first, our headlines. It's been a busy week in the nation's capital. French President Emmanuel Macron traveled to Washington, where he held a joint press conference this afternoon with President Biden. They discussed helping Europe diversify. Other topics. Prior to Macron's state visit, he criticized President Biden's unfortunately named Inflation Reduction Act. Of its protectionist climate policies, the French president said the act will, quote, perhaps fix your issue, but will increase my problem. But today, President Biden suggested he's helping the energy problems in Europe. Let's play clip one. The United States is helping Europe diversify away from Russian natural gas in the immediate term. And while accelerating our clean energy transitions, and we're going to continue working in close partnership with Europe as we move forward. President Biden was also asked about the railway worker strike and the legislative attempts to avoid it. Do the freight rail workers deserve more than one day of paid sick leave like millions of Americans have? And if so, why didn't you negotiate for that when you were helping to negotiate that contract that you now want Congress to impose? I love you guys. I negotiated a contract no one else could negotiate. The only thing that was left out was whether or not it was paid leave. Joining me now to discuss all of it is U.S. Representative Kevin Hearn. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee. He is the newly elected chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He represents Oklahoma's 1st District. Congressman Hearn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph, great to be with you. Well, I want to get with all of that, but before I do, there is some breaking news this afternoon that the Supreme Court will maintain the hold on President Biden's student loan bailout program, and he'll hear oral arguments on that case in February. What's your reaction? Well, it's kind of interesting that uh, President Biden has to be told now three times no, starting with, if for all the listeners, go all the way back to July 28, 2021, when the most senior legislator in Congress, uh, Nancy Pelosi, said that it was unconstitutional for Joe Biden to forgive student loans. He did not have the constitutional authority to do so. 
He's now been told by a Texas federal judge and by an appellate court that he can't do it. So it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and once and all, once for all, we'll, we'll get a ruling that it's unconstitutional because he wants to be a complete dictator in a sense that he has the full authority to not only uh, execute the laws, but also go out and appropriate money and spend money and completely bypass the Congress. So it's going to be really interesting. But, you know, some of the sort of the flippant questions you might ask a president like this is how far back is he going to forgive loans for all those who have paid for their debts, who made the decision to go to college, took out student loans, paid their debts back? Or is this only for, as he's described, for people that are currently uh, looking uh, for him to buy votes for? And this is what's really frustrating. It keeps moving. As you may remember, he couldn't even identify how much it was going to cost because he didn't care. He was just going to forgive debt and all Americans would pay for it. We would borrow money uh, from China and, and continue this insatiable appetite to spend. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act, that he is causing great energy uh, problems for Europe and for our own country, for that matter. Even in that alone, you know, he talked about reducing the deficit, but everything he's done since then is increased the deficit with things like these gimmicks of giving away or uh, forgiving student loans. Right? Well, it seems probable that the Supreme Court will agree with the lower courts and decide that this is not constitutional. But arguably, the benefit to President Biden has already been achieved because this was announced prior to the election and any kind of bump he got in voter enthusiasm and voter turnout has already been realized. So the rest of this ultimately may not matter for the administration. But I want to move on to the press conference that President Biden today had with President Macron. Did you learn anything? Well, I didn't see the press conference. I was actually on the floor voting, but I, I can tell you this is what this president continues to think he's doing by just completely going after and destroying our fossil fuel industry and, and pretending that somehow that wind energy and solar energy is going to replace the output of our natural, you know, our natural fuels, our fossil fuels. And we've seen it time and time again uh, from the day he got uh, sworn in to killing the Keystone XL pipeline to, you know, saying he doesn't like pipelines in the United States, but going. And, and blessing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, what he's done now in going and begging Iran and Saudi Arabia, and now just this week, Venezuela and turning Chevron loose to start drilling there, as opposed to drilling more here in our own country where high-paying jobs can be created. This president knows that he is completely owned by the socialist Democrat arm of his party and that he is not going to do the right thing, which is to quit begging uh, the radical nations around the world for energy when we have that amount of fuel we need right here in this country, that we can help places like France and, you know, and, and make sure they don't have to depend on terrorist nation and human rights abusers around the world. And we're speaking with Congressman Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. And Congressman, prior to President Macron's visit, he had criticized President Biden's energy policy. What are his concerns uh, from the perspective of an Euro from a European ally? Well, when you look at what happened uh, when Ukraine was invaded by Russia, there's no coincidence that Russia invaded Ukraine during the winter months and put you know, just a sampling of pressure on Eastern Europe and certainly an entire European nation on what it was going to be like when oil and gas stopped flowing from Russia. And you look at what's happening now as we move into the winter again, and we have the ability to supply all the LNG that Europe would need, and yet they're forcing France and other European nations to look across the world to make up these, these lacks of supply they have that's been coming from Russia for all these years. And because they can't get it from the United States, 
And what do we argue? That we're going to send them somehow more solar energy and more wind energy, which will not make up for the reduction of this. I mean, when you look at what's happening with energy costs in Europe, they're five, 600% higher than they were a year ago. And that's all because of what's going on in Ukraine and because of the energy policy that this administration, the Biden administration, has implemented since he's been in office. There's controversy over our energy policy south of the border as well in South America. The White House has recently eased restrictions on oil purchases from Venezuela. Why is that uh, controversial? Well, again, when you look at what's happening with Chevron, the the uh, not letting them drill here, and, and then their 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 comments are as well because you have uh, nine thousand permits that have been offered, but they haven't done anything that has done has allowed them to drill here. Well, what they're not telling the whole story is is that the restrictions, the regulations associated with that makes it improbable that anybody would want to go invest literally millions and millions of dollars to stand up new wells or or drill new wells and put new rigs in the ground when you have an administration that is time and time again said openly that they want to destroy the industry. So again, you've got Venezuela who not, you know, not too long ago opened up their jails and turned people loose to invade our southern border. And what the reward they get for doing this is, is that the Biden administration goes to Maduro, basically recognizes him as the as the leader, you know, a radical leader of a nation that has crumbled, and all for the purpose of giving them the opportunity to create the jobs and, and send the energy to the United States. And when again, we could create that energy and put it here in our own country and not have to depend on a, a, a nation like Venezuela. The way you describe it there seems so simple, that it would be better to drill our own oil at home rather than uh, fund a a totalitarian regime there, Maduro in Venezuela, doing terrible things to its people. Why does the White House not see it that way? What's their perspective? Well, unfortunately, I think everyday Americans can see this, and that's what's frustrating. Some of the easier decisions in foreign policy and national security, like uh, energy security and border security, uh, you know, at our southern border, these are things that every American should want. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. It should be a bipartisan issue. It should be an American issue that we want to secure our nation through great policies, like again, our southern border policy and our energy policy that we had both under control less than 24 months ago. And here we are now with a president who has talked a great game, uh, but has never sent anyone to the southern border to fix it. Uh, when you look at the Department of Homeland Security, and, and this is all uh, together on, on the whole issues we're having on our national security issue, I mean, you got Mayorkas who said the border is fine. When you look at our energy policy, the president has taken the lead on this to say that our energy policy is not important in the United States. We're going to somehow convert everybody to green cars but they have a policy in place that says you can't get the credit for electric vehicles. Uh, it's, it's just convoluted. That's what's so frustrating about the processes this administration and these Democrats have put forward. And I think the American people have seen this. And that's why right now the Republicans have been put back in the majority of the House. And we have an opportunity to lead on these issues as we go into January. And speaking of your opportunities to lead going into January, you have been elected as the new leader of the Republican Study Committee. Congratulations on that. For those who may not be familiar, what role does the Republican Study Committee play in Congress and what do you hope to do in that role? 
Yeah, so it's been around for be 50 years in April, and it's really uh, been the conservative conscience of the conference working on alongside and in parallel with the entire conference, the entire Republican conference of 222 members. There's about 170 Republicans that are on this, this committee, the Republican Study Committee. Uh, it's an honor to be the chair. It's a two-year term, but it's really about looking at policies, must-pass bills, and getting the most conservative solutions uh, put forth for being able to be voted on. One of the things I'm most proud of is working on a budget that actually balances uh, both last year and this year. Republican Study Committee historically has put forth a budget that's been voted on on the floor. Uh, when the Republicans have been in control, I, I anticipate it will be so as well uh, in the spring. But it really does what every American and that has to be done in the cities, the, the counties, the communities across America, the states have to balance their budgets. And this puts forth a way forward for us to be better fiduciary, responsible legislators with the American taxpayer dollars. And that's what this does. It'll be something it'll be a real honor to see hit the floor and see where the American legislators here in Washington, D.C. stand on protecting American taxpayer dollars. Congressman Hearn, very quickly, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act goes from the Senate to the House. Forty-seven Republicans voted to support it last time. What do you expect this time in about 15 seconds? Uh, probably about the same, I would guess. It's unfortunate. I will do everything to stand for religious liberties and re religious freedoms, and that's what the real problem right now is. We're just getting attacked on all fronts, and I know it's something that Tony has pushed his entire career working on, so I look forward to continuing uh, to fight that fight. And we will continue to stand with you and pray for you. Congressman Kevin Hearn, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up next, a whistleblower says the Biden administration's border policy is actually aiding and abetting human traffickers. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? 
Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest and the trees. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. According to a government whistleblower, the Biden administration's lax border rules have allowed human traffickers to bring children into the United States for the purpose of prostitution. Tara Lee Rodas, a former Department of Health and Human Services manager, told Project Veritas that the result looks a lot like human trafficking. So your trafficker in Guatemala, he's got to use the cartel to get his children across Mexico. But once he gets the children to the U.S. border, we take them. So we take the product. These, these vulnerable children, we care for them, we clothe them, we feed them. And then with your dollars and my dollars and the dollars of every person watching, we fly that product directly to the trafficker. The trafficker then has the ability to labor traffic that child until they're caught, if they ever are. And God forbid it's sex trafficking. Is this true? And if so, what can be done about it? With me now to talk about it is Congressman Michael Cloud. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. He represents the 27th Congressional District of Texas. Congresswoman Cloud, welcome to the program. It's good to be with you tonight. And what, what an important topic to be covering. Yeah, first, I just sure I do want to get your reaction to this report from the whistleblower. It seems almost unbelievable, you know, because we have now there's lots of partisan differences, but I don't think anybody in America is trying to aid and abet human trafficking. What's your reaction to this accusation? Well, we've been talking about this for several years. This is exactly what we've known has been happening. You know, I, I've visited facilities where half the young women will admit to being assaulted on the journey. We've been talking about the fact that this is really a taxpayer-funded human trafficking. The cartels take them to the border. Uh, this administration's turned our border security apparatus into just a processing facility and a transportation mechanism to where many times the cartels take up that relationship at the end and people put into either a, a work slavery relationship or a, a lot of times a, a, for these young women, sadly, a, a sex slavery relationship. And, it, you know, it, it's heartbreaking that that this is happening. And especially, you know, in, in times past, we've heard this uh, put into terms of compassion where, you know, lawlessness is not compassion. And in us doing the due diligence to make sure our borders are secure and that the people in, uh, that are coming into our, our 
country are not being trafficked, that they're uh, going through the right and proper legal process. That is actually compassionate. Uh, and, and what's happening right now is just horrific. Uh, it needs to be stopped. It, it's long overdue that we let this go on for this long. Are you saying that when an adult brings children to the border, the Border Patrol simply simply takes the children, processes them, and then returns them to whatever adult brought them to the border? Is that our operating procedure at the moment? Uh, many times, many times that's the case, you know, uh, and, and a lot of times we'll have unaccompanied uh, minors at, at the border as well, you know, and they'll have a name attached to them uh, that someone's put on who their sponsor in the, the U.S. is going to be. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just there's not really a, a check on whether that person's actually a family member. You know, it's just uh, it's it's not a very good system for protecting the lives of the migrants. It's not a very good system for right now for protecting our communities here in the United States as well. It, it's it, we've got to get back to law and order on our border. It's good for our communities here. It's also good for the migrants that are being taken advantage in this situation. Is this outcome that we're hearing about right now, is this a function of new policy at the border that the Biden administration has put into place? Or is this a function of the number of people who are now crossing the border and border officials are just having to react and this is the way that they are reacting? Well, those two are are connected. Uh, the reason we have such a surge at the border is because of the policies in large part by this administration. And the weakening, uh, you know, when when the cartels knew that Biden was coming to office, they started gearing up their, you know, for them, it's like, oh, great, let's start getting our system up and running. Let's start getting the notice out to start bringing people to to the border. Um, and, you know, when they hear things like maybe, OK, Title 42 is going away for them, they're looking at their business model and saying, OK, we can we can take advantage of, of people. And we you know, we know about the illicit drugs coming across the tens of thousands of fentanyl deaths that have happened in the United States uh, throughout you know, community after community in our in our country. But in the cartels minds, yes, uh, they they traffic in drugs as well. But 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 that can, they can only sell once uh, human lives. They they look at it as, hey, we can, this is residual income for them. We can we can traffic, you know, take advantage of of a person over and over and over again. And this this is the sick, demented mind of the cartels and, and why we have to be very serious about what's going on at the border. I want to play one other statement here from Tara Lee Rodas, who's the whistleblower from HHS in this case, and get your response. Let's play clip seven. I think most people don't know. They have no idea that children are going to unrelated people, that children are definitely, we have proof, evidence, that they're being recruited and transported. They're then in debt bonded. She uses the phrase debt bondage there. Congressman, what is she referring to? Well, everyone who comes across the border, everything that comes across the border, the cartels control the southern side of our border. Uh, that's for what we would even think legitimate trade. You know, you can talk about avocados and calves and all that other stuff, too. They're also paying uh, the cartels uh, a, a propina or a fee, in a sense, to come across the border. Well, it, humans who come across the border are also coming to the cartels and paying thousands of dollars to the cartels. Sometimes they don't have the money to do so. And so, tragically, 
they end up indebting themselves to the cartels uh, to, to pay this back many times out of their lives and, and bodies. Uh, and again, you know, this is why we need to be very serious about the infrastructure at the border, about getting our border patrol agents back to securing our border and not sitting at a computer typing in processing and, and, you know, it's get them back to doing their job of securing our border, securing the communities, pushing back on the lawless uh, aspect of what's going on uh, and and stop empowering, aiding and abetting these cartels. And that certainly has to be the goal. And I have got to think there's going to be bipartisan support uh, for that effort. And I know that you and the rest of your Republican colleagues are going to have more to say about that in the Congress to come as you take the majority. And we certainly hope and pray that uh, much success will be found in that effort. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. God bless you. Coming up next, the passage of the so-called Respect for Marriage Act in the Senate has led some questions that many senators would rather not answer or even think about it. We'll tell you what that question is when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. All of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted, and they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free. back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Remember, you can help FRC equip Christians to shine and speak the light of truth in our darkening culture by partnering with us before December 31st. We can end 2022 strong and your gift can be doubled between now and December 31st by calling 1-800-225-4008 or visiting Tony Perkins. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. Thank you so much for your support. And as we have discussed on the program this week, the effort from Republican senators to justify their vote for the so-called Respect for Marriage Act has led them into some tricky rhetorical corners. Republican Senator Cynthia Lummis was one of the Republicans who voted for the redefinition of marriage. Then yesterday, she was asked by CSN News whether she believed children had the right to a mother. Here's what happened. The Respect for Marriage Act, which recognizes a right to same-sex marriage. So does a baby have a right to a mother? I don't, this is, I don't know where you're going with this, but I don't like it. The audio quality is not great there, but what she said is, I don't know where you're going with this, but I don't like where it's going. Why doesn't she want to answer the question about whether children have a right to a mother? Joining me now to discuss this is a mother herself, Mary Zock, director of the Center for Human Dignity at the Family Research Council. Mary, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Joseph. What's your reaction to uh, Senator Lummis's dodge? Well, it's really sad, you know, for for centuries, we have recognized that the best environment for a child to grow up in is in a loving relationship between a mother and a father um, who are who are there to raise and care and nurture that child. The the recent push for so-called equality has has tried to say that men and women are actually the same and that because they're the same, they they can replace each other in, in a child's life. And we know that this just isn't true. We've seen we see this play out when in a natural marriage, a mother or a father dies. And, and we see the beauty of other people in society stepping up to try to fill that role. And even then, there's still a loss. So we know that a mother and father cannot be replaced. And we know that the so-called Respect for Marriage Act attempts to replace mothers, especially. Now, Mary, when we see this situation, it, it becomes apparent that Senator Lummis is uncomfortable with the question because she doesn't like the implication of the question, right? When you accept the premise that same-sex relationships are equal to opposite-sex relationships, you are required logically, if you're going to try to be consistent, to believe that it is not important for a child to have both a mother and a father because both of those relationships can't provide that situation. So do you think that this is a, a case where Senator Lummis and, and others who hold her position don't really think through the implications of their decision, or do they just not care for political or personal reasons, and they get frustrated when someone highlights the implications of their position? Well, I think a major problem here, Joseph, is that no one is actually concerned about the children. We're, we're prioritizing the wants of adults over the actual needs of children. We know that the presence of a mother helps regulate a child's heartbeat. The mother's presence helps the child to grow. The, the breast milk from the mother is so powerful and equips the child with so many different immunities that even the World Health Organization recommends that mothers breastfeed for up to two years. So I think that we know the, the benefits of the presence of a mother and father in the child's life, but, but politicians like Senator Lummis are choosing to ignore these realities and, and to value adults' wants over children's needs. 
I think that's really well put. And it, this is certainly not the only situation in which we see that happen. Arguably, the completely irresponsible spending habits that we as adults have right now, where we are taking trillions upon trillions of dollars and passing that off to our kids and grandkids and basically saying, have fun. You know, we're enjoying spending all of your money right now before you're even born. I just think we have this uh, pandemic, to borrow a term, of adults just believing that their interests are more important than the kids. Because clearly, when you ask these questions, she is very uncomfortable understanding that it's not good for me to say kids don't deserve a mom. But I basically just said kids don't deserve a mom. But I don't want to admit that. Where do we go from here? Is there a point at which this argument actually becomes persuasive and starts moving the needle on this issue? Well, I think that that we'll always see the pain and suffering of of children who are raised without a mother or without a father. We see that there is a deep wound there, that these people are looking for others in their life to to fill that void. And and I more of those people speaking out on this issue. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. We need to reach a place where once again, adults are willing to sacrifice for the sake of their children. We need to reach a place where, where marriage is valued. Mary, you're cutting out a little bit there. It looks like we've lost her connection. Um, I know she's, put first. Oh, we got you back. Mary, uh, we lost your connection there for just a moment, but we are about out of time. We thank you so much for being here, for providing uh, your insight and perspective, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks so much. And that point is one we just have to continue to drive home. The debate over the definition of marriage really isn't about same-sex or opposite-sex relationships. It's about the question of whether the institution exists for the adults, or does it exist for the children? Because if it exists for the children, then we have to put their needs in front of our own. And that means adults are not necessarily entitled to children, though children are entitled to their parents. If we believe that the best interests of children go first and that the institution of marriage exists for their benefits, not necessarily emotional needs of the adults, we see the issue very, very differently. Coming up next, we're gonna dig into the railroad worker strike. What are the sticking points and what does it mean for you and your life? We'll talk about it when we come back. It begins here, and here, and here, every day. Before you stand, you need solid ground. Standing in a culture that wants you to surrender the truth won't work unless you have a firm foundation. At Family Research Council, we have that firm foundation, and you can find us standing. We stand for the value of all human life, we stand for the right of families to flourish. And every day we stand for your freedom to believe and to live out those beliefs both at home and abroad. We work with government officials, educating them on the issues from a biblical worldview. And when necessary, we hold them accountable. We equip Christians across America to be informed and to take action in their communities. With our daily radio program, television appearances, and vast online presence, we reach people where they are. We envision an America where all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. That won't be realized if we're not standing. Stand for faith. Stand for family. Stand for freedom. 
Stand with us at FRC. King David wrote of God's word as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is a timeless truth. For those through the centuries that have embraced this truth, they have found the Word of God provides a solid foundation for life. That's why the Family Research Council has embarked upon a two-year chronological Bible reading plan called Stand on the Word. We've made it easy for you to read through the Bible in two years by taking just 10 to 15 minutes, six days a week. And to encourage you on the journey, I have a brief eight to 10 minute devotional each morning, Monday through Friday, that accompanies the reading. You can join me by going to frc.org slash Bible. That's frc.org slash Bible. Or you can join me on my Facebook page, Tony Perkins, each morning at 844 Eastern Time. Again, the website, frc.org slash Bible, or on Facebook at Tony Perkins. Join us, and together we will stand on the Word. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com where you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch. It seems like the election season never ends. And if you're in Georgia, that is true. Early voting continues in the crucial Senate runoff election, pitting Republican Herschel Walker against Democrat Raphael Warnock. Election day is next Tuesday, December 6th. Be sure to vote if you are a Georgia resident. If you're not, don't vote in that election. You can visit frcaction.org for a voter guide letting you know where both candidates stand on the issues. Earlier today, the Senate voted to approve a bill that passed the House yesterday and once signed by President Biden will hold off a looming railway strike. The potential for a strike has been building for months. But President Biden said the issue had been solved months ago. Here's President Biden from September 15th. Together, we reached an agreement, you reached an agreement that will keep our critical rail system working and avoid disruptions of our economy. Now, clearly, there wasn't quite as much agreement as President Biden suggested. Yesterday, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre was asked what went wrong back in September. On the potential rail strike, some representatives today putting blame on the Biden administration, saying that it should have never come to this. What went wrong from the administration's point of view in September? We don't think anything went wrong. Well, did something go wrong or not? Joining me now to discuss all of it is Dr. Dave Bratt, Dean of the School of Business at Liberty University and a former member of Congress himself. Dr. Bratt, good to see you today. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Great to be on. Well, I want to dig into the uh, what went wrong, what didn't go wrong, but let's get the heart of this issue. There's a potential railway worker strike. What's the impact of this? How much should people care? Will this affect anybody's life or not? Yeah, well, it's a uh, it's a story because we've chosen the swamp and, and the, the federal government to run our lives instead of free markets, right? In a free market system, this wouldn't happen and you'd have a little bit better competition and a better 
price and better product quality and all that. And then uh, you, you go through the federal government and the uh, from the railroad guys side, they've had to, they lost the, had to lay off about a third of their uh, workers over the last few years. And so that's the, the side that hasn't been covered on their side, but now they're asking for benefits and all this kind of stuff. And then it is surprising. I, I Earlier in the week, I would have guessed that uh, the White House and the, the Dems would have given them what they wanted because uh, they're loyal voters. And they, and they said no. And so what's wrong is it's this is a political calculus instead of an economic calculus. We don't have a modern energy policy or transportation policy that's set up to maximize the welfare of our citizens. As Dr. Usual. Bratt? Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to I want to get into the details of that for a moment, because you're right. This is these are union workers. And, and uh, historically, these are people that the Democratic Party has cared about a lot. You yeah. say that the uh, the Democrat congressional leadership has said no to them. Why is that? What's the calculation that they went through that led them to just say no to what has historically been a, a supportive voting bloc? Well, it, right now, supply chains are so messed up, right? China's imploding, uh, other supply chain issues abound. Uh, and then and then this is a $2 billion a day uh, macroeconomic problem if they go on strike. And then the Democrats, it was you know fun to see them lecturing us about economic issues. You know, hey, did you realize if the economy doesn't work, you're not going to get all this other stuff you need to live your lives, you know, hospital supplies and stuff on time. Well, yeah, no, we do realize that. We got a good solution for that. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the answer was they just they they could not have even a week shutdown of this critical infrastructure before Christmas. Right. So I think that was the calculation. And the railroad guys probably timed it that way, too. So it was just, you know. Smash mouth politics as usual in D.C., everyone. That's the way everyone plays these days. They're not a whole lot of uh, faith, hope, and charity and love, et cetera. So this isn't an agreement that was reached so much as a, a an agreement that was required by Congress yeah. because of their, yeah. their ability to supervise this situation. But yeah. I played the clips at the beginning of this segment where President Biden told us back in September that this had already been solved. Right. Why was he telling us that when... We now know that wasn't the case. Oh, I don't know where to start. Anything they say from that White House podium, uh, you just heard the, the chief spokesperson say there's no issue. I mean, it, it, the, the amount of untruths on COVID, on energy policy, the war with Ukraine, Russiagate, Russiagate, uh, CIA, intelligence corruption, FBI corruption, uh, Justice Department corruption. I mean, so, you know, the American people know all this, and uh, I, I, I'm shocked at uh, political uh, decisions the American people have made lately uh, in the face of all this. But it, it just appears to be a, a cultural war, right? People are just dug in on both sides, and they are dug in. And I, I think it's a lot of every issue you go over, it's kind of God versus no God right down the line, the way I view it. You can view any of these issues, right, the CCP and and uh, surveillance states and the lack of freedom of speech. We're losing on the religion front right now. Religious liberties took a hit this week. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's just all political and that's that's what's going on. One other issue I'd like to cover with you. Congress has until December 16th to reach an agreement on funding of the government. Yep. Do you think we will see a shutdown? It. it 
it looks like it right now. There's a bunch of pieces still in motion. I'm a little bit surprised with the defense and all that. And McCarthy, I don't expect much from him, but he might be holding the little ground. Uh, my friend Thomas Massey in Kentucky had the best idea uh, in terms of government shutdown. And the next year, right, the next year, it'll be next October, uh, the Republicans, the, the mainstream media is going to message on government shutdown. The Republicans are dangerous and all this. You just pass a CR right now that funds 95% of the government ahead of time, right, for the next year. And so you put an end to this, uh, you know, this constant mainstream media diatribe. We're $31 trillion in debt. The United Kingdom just had a sovereign debt crisis. That's a, that's a debt crisis uh, of their guilt, which is our treasury bond. If that thing goes under, everyone out there is going to be fishing under a bridge with Frodo, right, from Lord of the Rings. That's, what, that's how serious the times we live in. And I, I just was scanning the headlines today, BlackRock. We have serious liquidity uh, and, and, and money problems, financial problems coming in this country, not just abroad. And so I, I'm just kind of stunned at, at our macro situation. I hope the Republicans stand up to some of this. Last question for you. You were in Congress and you just mentioned a couple of the crises that we're dealing. We talked about yeah. the railway strike potential. We talk about the need to fund the government, all these economic yeah. kind of problems looming in the future. But when Congress came back from the recess, they spent the first two and a half weeks redefining marriage, basically doing yeah. something statutorily that the Supreme Court had already done. How do you explain the priorities represented there by the leadership in Congress? Well, on the left, the House and the Senate and the White House are held by the far left. And the, the, the explanation is simple. I mean, people don't, people don't want to believe this because they haven't read it. And the, the, the American uh, populace is not educated on the basics, but it's Marxist thoughts straight through, right? Marx. Uh, separated and intentionally separated uh, the, the classes to start a class war. It was the capitalists versus the workers. The, the latest iteration of the Marxists come out of German schools and Gramsci and all this stuff. And so now they're just separating everybody based on traditional family or non-traditional family, race, gender, this, that, every alphabet letter in the, in the soup. And uh, that's the strategy to tear down the United States. Uh, the 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 anti-God crowd, right, and the, and the Democrat uh, platform, by the way, has no mention of God in it, which is interesting. Neither does the CCP, who met uh, three weeks ago. They went full-on Marxist-Leninist, got rid of all market reforms, and went on a war footing. No reporting on any of that. And so, you know, I, I, I hate to tell people, go read your Marx, right? If you don't get what's going on in the modern world, and if you don't see the Marxist uh, history at play— Russia is Marxist, in case you missed that memo. Uh, China's Marxist, in case you missed that memo. And they're going full-on Marxist-Leninist. And uh, the U.S. is being invaded by the globalists, who are also Marxists, and the Chinese, and the Russians, and the Euros, and et cetera. And so if you're not seeing this yet, uh, you better get going. And don't just complain. Write articles and letters on these simple topics we're covering to, your to the major newspapers, right, in your region, and just keep writing them and writing them and writing them and write your senators and congressmen explaining what's going on to the American people because they're not getting any of this through the news. Yep, you've got it. Thank you so much for your time. We've got one more to get to, but we appreciate Good. you being with us. We know we will do it again soon. God bless. Thanks, Joseph. 
Our last story for today, outcry continues to build over ongoing vaccine mandates in the military. Nearly half of the Senate Republican caucus has threatened to, to block the annual National Defense Authorization Act unless Congress both abolishes the military's coronavirus vaccine and reinstates all those previously dismissed under the policy. And this week, 21 Republican governors sent a letter to Congress requesting they object to the mandate. Has stubbornly clinging to the shop mandate become a national security issue? Joining me now to discuss this is FRC Executive Vice President and founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force Lieutenant General, Jerry Boykin. General, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you, Joseph. Your thoughts on the ongoing efforts to enforce these vaccine mandates against our troops? Yeah, I think it, uh, it's classified as bullying. And I think that what we need to understand is that uh, those same people that we consider to be the chain of command are the ones who are bullying the young members of our military today. And uh, if we go into combat tomorrow, do you think that they're going to want to follow a chain of command that has a history of bullying them? And it takes, uh, it takes a, a unity of effort, a cohesion, to be able to get out and win on the battlefield. And, and right now, what we're doing is destroying any, any notion that our military is unified or prepared for battle. We've heard reports this week that a Naval Academy cadet had her diploma withheld because she declined to get vaccinated, get the coronavirus vaccine. What can you tell us about that story? Well, that's, it's just, I just heard about it today. And, uh, and this is not the first time this happened, by the way. The uh, Coast Guard Academy uh, refused to give uh, diplomas to six of its people. And by the way, all six of those people were minorities. So they talk about, uh, you know, the equality and equity and, and all of that. And then all six of those at the Coast Guard Academy were, were minorities. Uh, and they were not all black or Hispanic. There were some Asians there, American Indians and so forth. Uh, so I, this is a tragedy to spend four years at uh, the Naval Academy and then walk away with nothing. No diploma and no commission. Uh, it's it, it's a. I think that this is something that the Navy needs to be held accountable for, just like the Air Force or the uh, Coast Guard needs to be held accountable for what they did to those six people. I mentioned that there are Republicans threatening to block military spending unless these mandates are lifted. Senator Ted Cruz had this to say about the political debate that would follow such a move. Let's play clip 11. Will Chuck Schumer come out and say, you see, Republicans have suddenly decided they don't want to defend this nation? Of course. And that's actually where it's going to come down to you guys. It's going to come down to the press corps to, to report fairly. The reason we're fighting this fight is because we care deeply about defending the fighting men and women of the military. And what the Democrats are doing to, to, to them is wrong, it is unjustifiable, it is immoral. We are fighting this fight because we take our obligation to stand with those soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines very seriously. General Boykin, do you think that's a fair characterization of the politics of this situation? I, I think uh, the senator is dead on. You know, an interesting thing came out today in the Military Times. And, and again, this is a, 
a periodical that focuses on what's happening in the military. And here's what they said. They said that uh, according to the latest data uh, released by the Defense Department, about 3,300 Marines, 1,800 soldiers, 1,800 sailors, and 900 airmen have been booted from the ranks for refusing to get vaccinated. Booted from the ranks. Now, at the same time, we've got old soldiers like me that are getting emails from the uh, from the military saying, please help us recruit. Help us with recruiting. We're in the worst shape we've ever been in. And, uh, and, and I can tell them why. I can explain to them exactly how this works mathematically, and I'm no mental giant on math. <laughs> but when you're putting that many people out of the military and you can't recruit enough people to backfill them or to reach your your numbers in recruiting, you've got a real problem that you've got to take a serious look at. And the reason for it is because of a, a, a variety of things, part of which is spending so much time on things like critical race theory and all of that, all this woke nonsense. Uh, people don't want to come in. I just spent the weekend at uh, the Cove, Billy Graham's uh, facility up outside of Asheville with uh, about 75 chaplains from all services and uh and i gotta tell you there was not a chaplain there that had received a religious exemption not no chaplain now if a chaplain can't get a religious exemption you know that there's something wrong you know that there's somebody's playing a game here and it's the and, and, and it's the department of defense because the only people that have received a religious exemption were people who were processing out of the military already they were either retiring, they were finished with their obligation, and they were leaving, or they were being put out for disciplinary reasons. This is a tragedy, and I got to tell you, Joseph, we better get our heads on straight here and get this fixed, because our military is key to the future of this nation, and right now it's in decline. General Boykin, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Joseph. And thank you, friends. We'll see you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.